0: Okay, well welcome to uh, Spirit Seekers on uh, June 5th and uh, my name is Lucy Samara and I serve First Congregational Church as communications coordinator and as host of Spirit Seekers. Um, Today John Floyd will be our interviewer and he'll be interviewing Amy Mellencamp who has conducted the first first several interviews that we've had. um, in this beginning phase of Spirit Seekers and welcome them both today and all of you who are here with us. The the purpose of Spirit Seekers is really to to provide a forum for um, people to share life stories and uh, highlights of their faith journey and uh, to help us build community and to support each other in our own uh, faith formation. The logistics are that the interview will be um, on the, on our uh, church podcast, which you can access through our website and our newsletter. And um, we'll, ha- we'll do a little bit of a closing at the end. Um, I think because of where we are right at this very moment in time, I'm just going to ask everybody to introduce themselves because um, Hannah has joined us and Hannah Sachs is a new staff member at the church, um, serving as a Director of, um, of Creative Ministries, so we're really happy to have her here. So maybe, I know everybody's screens are kind of set up differently, but if people could just introduce themselves, why don't you start, Don?
1: You say John or Don?
0: Don.
2: <laughs> Either one works. <laughs> I'm Janice. I'm Dawn. Um, you'll get to know me because I just became a trustee and serving as clerk. So, looking forward to our first meeting on yeah, Tuesday. Oh, Dawn, to meet you. Good. Patty, can you introduce yeah, I'm, yourself? I'm Patty Thomas. I live in Colchester and anxious to meet you, Hannah, and to see everybody again. <laughs>
1: Great, you.
2: Janice Clemens? You're muted,
0: Janice. Janice, you have to unmute yourself. There you go. I got it. Um, yeah. Hannah, hi again. We met um, hi. on Tuesday at Music.
3: Mm-hmm. And welcome. And I'm glad you're settling in.
0: Thank you. Good. Ann? Anna, Anna, I hope you move in. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Ann. Good. Um, so I'm just going to ask John and Amy to leave them. S- mm-hmm. Oh, what about me? <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> this is my, my old Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> I sat next to you, Hannah. I sat next to you with your visitation weekend at the eight o'clock service.
0: I remember. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that.
0: So if everybody could mute themselves except for John and Amy, and uh, that would be great. Thank you very much. And um, John and Amy can introduce um, themselves. Uh, I would just say that, you know, Amy has Served our church amazingly in the last few year, years as president-elect, president, and then past president, and just chaired our our whole exploratory effort, and eventually um, coming to an agreement to sell the uh, parsonage to Ronald McDonald House. Big project handled with with grace and a lot of uh, detail. So. Um, we're just you know, very grateful for your leadership in many ways and look forward to this time today. And here come Bruce and Carol Hewitt. Okay. So we're, we're gonna, Bruce and Carol, we're gonna go ahead and get started. Um, we're, everybody's muted and we're gonna have the interview now. So John and Amy, enjoy. Okay,
1: all right, great. First, I'll say hi to Hannah. Good to have you on board. Um and um uh, well amy as as uh, since you did the first few interviews, of course, you know what this is all about <laughs> um but as as uh as Lucy said, you know it's all about uh relationships, it's about learning about our our faith journeys and uh important people in our life, important challenges we've faced um so I know that you um you said that you used to go to church
3: with your father is that right Uh, yes Um, i grew up in um, michigan and then um, erie pennsylvania and in both places we were part of the presbyterian church and especially my father was involved I mean, my mother went my sisters went to church as well but my father was a trustee and also very involved at different points and i think i sort of followed his lead and so i you know when i think back i think of Sunday school, but not very clear memories, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, certainly remember our churches I, and some of the teen retreats we had at the time. Uh, so I, I guess I grew up feeling I was in a, a family of faith. Um, I realized much later, I think my dad's days in the Korean War really impacted him I mean he would never talk about it but I think that um church became a way for him to deal with some of what he experienced there and so anyways I knew it was meaningful to him and so I guess I just being the eldest daughter the eldest child I sort of followed his lead I didn't I wouldn't say I thought too deeply about my faith at the time you know I I uh went through confirmation i did all of that so i'm sure i i did a lot of the normal things people would have done growing up uh but i i think even when i went to college i would go to church sometimes not many of my friends did but it seemed commonplace for me to go and so i would go um uh, so i would i would say listen uh my that, that first part of my faith journey was just sort of something i fell into i was born into I. Like, carried on through uh and but it has always been a piece of me so it always Mm -hmm. has felt right when i've gone to church
1: yeah and you you said that you went with your your grandparents went with you often too
3: well whenever i would visit my my grandparents they also would go to church i see Uh my mother my mother was catholic but did not like being catholic so she was just Uh as happy to become presbyterian but Uh i when i think of my grandparents i really think of my father's parents and and um, they grew up in Upper State Michigan, and you know, were just um, sort of in the Scottish tradition. Um, mm-hmm. Went to the Presbyterian Church and things like yeah.
1: that. were there were there people from that era or even later that really stand out for you as being uh, guides for you in, in developing your faith?
3: I liked I liked our minister very much uh, when I when we lived in Pennsylvania and when I was uh, involved in a lot of teen retreats, for instance. So I think I remember him being very patient with me because I was one of those people that asked all the questions like, well, how can that be? You know, the, he, you know, you can't divide bread into lots of rolls. <laughs> you, know? you know, I was always that person that would always ask those questions. And, you know, I can even now sort of see see his eyes roll <laughs> in some of those mm-hmm. questions. But, but um, because of his... Sort of steadfast style I think you know it was just for a way for me to experiment and try to get to know what it really means to be faithful but I I would say I, I was it wasn't a huge part of me until I really started to travel and live in some different cultures that I think that sort of naturally forces you to think about who you are and what our traditions are compared to the traditions that I'm newly experiencing in those different places, and so I think at that, that's probably when I, I felt something a little bit deeper regarding my faith. Um,
2: mm-hmm. When
3: I, I after I graduated from college, well I was telling I was telling John that one of my, um, my father's. Um, Big issues was uh, I went to a liberal arts college went to St. Lawrence University. He felt that I wasn't going to graduate with anything concrete. So he the the summer before my senior year, he said to me, I am not going to pay for your last year of college unless you do something practical or something concrete. And, you know, that was a big shock to me Um, and uh, the one thing that uh, was available to me, but which I was interested in, uh, was pursuing a teaching degree at St. Lawrence. So I quickly got myself organized and got into the student teaching program and all of that. And so I did graduate from St. Lawrence with a teaching degree. And don't you know that that launched me in the right way? You know, my father had, he, he set me off on this path that ended up being uh, the path of my life, really. Mm-hmm. And um, so I look back on on that time when I was so shocked, but I look back on it with fondness now because sometimes you have to be forced into something. And so I was, um, but when I left college, I went into the Peace Corps and I lived in Africa. I lived in the Congo for a couple of years and um, lived very close to a Catholic mission. Uh, the other people who were on our in our location were BAPTIST MINISTERS FROM SWEDEN AND AND SO IMMEDIATELY I GOT CONFRONTED WITH BAPTIST MINISTERS WHO DIDN'T BELIEVE IN DRINKING OR DANCING OR ANYTHING FUN AND um, AND SORT OF TOLERATED THESE TWO AMERICANS LIVING NEXT DOOR TO THEM IN THE MIDDLE OF NOWHERE Uh, AS WELL AS THE CATHOLIC PRIEST DOWN THE ROAD WHO was known for always uh, drinking a lot and not <laughs> doing a lot. So you know you start thinking about okay so what is church all about? You know you see these really big differences um, going on and then of course just being there in the Congo and understanding um, how their traditions and cultures have really shaped their faith and in a lot of ways they're more meaning their traditions were more meaningful to me at that time for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways that's I guess that's just sort of a theme I've had a chance to travel and live in different places over the years and I think that's an example of how sometimes you get confronted with different people from different backgrounds and it causes you to to think and expand your own view of what your beliefs are how they fit into the world that um, you've that has been laid out for you, and that you can also then alter and change and make more meaningful for yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I found uh, inter- really interesting about this series is uh, that we learned so much about uh, our, our friends and and folks maybe we don't know very well in the church and and their background and their history. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to thank uh, Lucy and Michael for bringing this to the foreground because. Yeah, I don't think if we weren't if we were meeting every every week in church I don't know if we'd be doing this too but that reminds me that uh, you're talking about your service in the Congo and and the Peace Corps um, what I was getting at is I, I always think of you I see you or I used to see you in church uh, sitting two or three pews behind me and uh, you know I, I've known about your your career as uh Principal at Burlington High School, and of course as church president and chair of the Ronald McDonald House uh, sale committee, Um, and so I'm you know I I see now. I mean I know that you've always been of service to your community here in Burlington, but I see I've learned about that your whole career has been of service. That you started out in the Peace Corps serving others, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it just just keeps rolling along, doesn't it? so, with with that in mind, I was going to ask you about your your experience at uh, at Burlington High School. You were you were principal there for how long?
3: I was principal there for seventeen years, from nineteen ninety nine yeah. to two thousand sixteen. Right. And then I retired the next year after uh, a year at CP Smith as principal, um, which is now right.
1: here. Right. I'm thinking of that particularly in these times that we're in. Um, you know, I think that Burlington High School is is very likely the largest racially diverse group of people in Vermont under one roof. Um, and you had to keep it all together. Uh, do you have any any thoughts, any reflections about what's going on between and within our communities?
3: You know, I look back on the different, Um, cultures and traditions of people that came through those 17 years I was at Burlington with with so much appreciation and and respect we struggled a lot during that time you know it wasn't always easy because uh, as as we're seeing living out in the streets today It was difficult then, still difficult now, for mostly white teachers to really, really truly understand and connect with the life journeys of so many people. So, for instance, in 1999, when I first went to the the high school, that was the year the Bosnians and the Croatians and the Serbs were settling into Burlington. And don't you know, the refugee resettlement groups settled all three. And they not only came to the high school and our schools um, in Burlington, but they were settled into um, Franklin Square and Northgate all together. Mm. And of course, relatives had killed some of their relatives and, you know, having them all together in one place was just volatile. Mm. The other thing that I quickly became clear to me um, that first year was that the those three groups had never had any experience with African Americans, or Black people, hmm. and so there was tension there as well. So it's like you walk in the school and you you'd sort of sort of see all these different groups, and and so I think. I really appreciate the journey we went on that time. It was I felt like we were learning every day. There were days we didn't get it right. There were days we heard part of the story and didn't understand the other part of the story. There were times when people couldn't didn't feel they could tell us really what was going on. But then sometimes we'd break through and we'd get we'd get a fuller understanding and we th- we would sort of hit ourselves over the head thinking why didn't we understand that kind of thing. So what. What I would say is that that launched a journey because several years later, a number of uh, refugees and immigrants came from Tibet, and then the Sudan, and then Somalia, and then Bhutan and Nepal. Uh, And so we, and they each had their own needs and and hopes and religious practices. Uh, We probably have the largest Muslim population in the state and under one roof as well at Burlington High School so trying to figure out how to be respectful for people from uh, people from Bosnia or Muslim and so bosnians and the the sudanese and the somalians uh, you know it, it was just very interesting trying to figure that all out and i give ourselves a lot of credit but i also uh, would tell you that looking back i can see that we were oblivious to a lot of things. And I think it's part of the diversity challenge that we're all experiencing right now that when you're in a place of privilege and have had a lot of opportunities in life, sometimes you just don't understand the way we must and need to in the future, uh, the lives of many other people. So Mm -hmm. it was a unique opportunity. I think it enriched everybody by um, learning from each other as we figured out how to blend classrooms, um, trying to catch students learning up so they could truly integrate in some different ways, using sports and, and extracurriculars as a way to create new friendships and opportunities. Uh, we we were always, we always felt, I think, a little bit behind because we, we knew that there was so much we, were, we weren't able to do because there was so much we didn't know. But I think my big takeaway from all of that is that you just have to admit that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And you have to try to be in community with as many people as possible so that together you're coming up with the best solution and the best opportunities for all. Um, I do, you know, I, I worry about many of the families even today because I think they are socially distanced from many others in the Burlington community, not integrated in a way that we need to try to really work together to be integrated. Uh, uh, but I, uh, I I certainly love when students are in contact with me and let me know what, what they're doing. And I think, oh, yeah. wow, we really re- were able to make a difference because they were able to take that next step in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but service I think is probably if I were to think about faith, I think I, I I equate it really with service because I think it's about every day trying to be open to the world, um, you know, do that, uh, you know, live in a just way, love, kindness, mercy, walking humbly, all of that. I think I I try to every day think about those lines and see, you know, how it can apply at that time, mm-hmm. you know, each day in my life. Um, because, you know, you never, service isn't the end all be all because a lot of the service I've done, I'm sure was inadequate and wasn't enough. It could have been better, uh, all of that. But I think putting your, you know, each each day, putting your foot forward and trying to, to do the best you can, I think that was really our, our outlook when i was at burlington high school to try to get it as right as we could to do the best that we could knowing it wasn't ever um, enough or quite right but at least we were in the game
1: trying right to
3: right find a part of the conversation
1: yeah I'd, I'd have forgotten who it was that said it but uh, what something like 90 uh, percent of success is showing up uh, uh, you know if you if you show up and you make an effort then very often you're going to succeed. You're not always, but uh, I mean, failure is is or even not quite hitting the mark. Not even failure, but not quite hitting the mark that you were shooting for, uh, is success. It's you know part of part of making it work, right? Right. right. Um, and speaking of 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 service, you've uh, certainly been a ser- been of service to the church. Most recently, uh, as uh, the chair of the committee talking to Ronald McDonald House about uh, their, the, the potential sale, which is now, as, as of annual meeting, is uh, actually going to be happening. Uh, a lot of things to do yet, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, I, I wonder if you can reflect on, um, I mean, Ronald McDonald House has been around for 30 plus years. I've, I've been in the church for more than 30 years. And it was already a thing then. Um, I came to the church when uh, Martin Copenhagen was the pastor, and he was the one who decided that he didn't want to have his raise his young family in the heart of downtown at that busy corner. And the church decided to rent the house to Ronald McDonald, uh, Charities of Burlington, for a dollar a year. Um, and everyone has felt, felt wonderful about it. But over the years, people, have said, people in the church have said, you know, that's a, that's a huge contribution a huge chunk of our mission if you look at the fi- real financial value of it. So, so now with what you and your committee have done we have the opportunity to actually take that financial value and apply it wherever we decide to do, it. Um, which I think is a great gift to the church. Uh, but it, it also raises questions of, um, of our relationship with Ronald McDonald House too. Um, I know that uh, you know I, the the wrong with that. I, I I've been a volunteer. I was a volunteer there for more than ten years, and I know that one of the things that they always told the volunteers is be sure to tell your guests about the gift of First Church, renting for a dollar a year. How how important that is to us. Um, so I'm I'm wondering both how um, how how will the sale affect our mission in your mind. And also, how will the change in our mission be perceived out in the world? I know that many people in the Burlington community know about this, about this gift. Um, just thoughts on where, maybe where we're going in the future with, uh, with the sale, with the, uh, the, the having the cash available to do different things. <laughs>
3: One of the the benefits of being involved with the Parsonage Study Group is I I had a chance to visit the Ronald McDonald House and become much more aware of their work and actually speak to some of the families that were benefiting. And so I I completely got jazzed up about what they were doing because I could see what was was happening and how so many vulnerable families with very vulnerable children were, were being served. And so I did get... Inspired about the mission, I knew about it just as you had related from you know the 80s and 90s that we were we releasing were the parsonage to them. But I you know I was a little bit it wasn't clear to me exactly all that they were giving to the community. So so I do feel really strongly about the mission work that they are doing, and so I, and and really I think that's why they approached us because they want their work to live on in the future, no matter what happens to the church. They want to, they're looking out for themselves and thinking about their future and wanting to protect it. I do feel um, the the funds that we receive from the sale can be put to really important service for the community. And I, I think this will be uh, up for a lot of discussion um, within the congregation, right, rightfully so. But I think if we're to be relevant and seen as a important voice in the community and not only talk, but can actually deliver on some action. I think this places us in a unique way to really step up, step forward in a a really um, even more visible way, although it's not really about the attention that we get, it's really about what Mm -hmm. the good we can do, right? Uh, so while we certainly have a lot of service work going on already, I'm hoping that this could jumpstart some new opportunities and ideas. And um, Hannah, it's great that you're here because I think that we'll rely on you to help us, at, along with Alyssa, to think about how to talk about, really take stock of what we're doing and where we want to go, where our talents are going to go. It shouldn't be just about money, though. I think. Th- that the money can be a vehicle for us to step forward as people because we need to be part, we need to be as much a part of the mission as, as any dollars that, that can be supporting um, that work. So I think hopefully this, this will be a legacy of stewardship that taps interests and talents of people in the congregation that really gets us activated to do some, some even more important work in the community. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think there are good things to come. I think e- even just having the conversation this coming year about it all will be good for us because it will cause us to think about what actions can be most meaningful and really be most faithful for our mm-hmm. community.
1: Great, thank you. So what's next for you? Now you have all this free time. <laughs>
3: Well, you know, I enjoyed um, thinking about retiring. You know, it's interesting, this whole retirement thing. People told me you have to have a project, you have to have things to do. Um, I was 63 when I retired, and I had planned it. I had planned that I would retire that year. But I I really had thought about it as being five, ten years of being able to travel and do lots of things. So I got off to a good start the last couple of years. Um, I've done some great hikes. I did the Camino de Santiago, um, not only from France, but, uh, but from Portugal. So I've had some big hikes. I've been able to visit so many friends and relatives. It, it's been fabulous. Uh, but I, I have been stopped in my tracks these last couple of months. And so it's sort of interesting being home. Um, but but I, I've really tried to stay, to keep a few things going in my life that allows me to keep some connections going. So I think it really is about connections and relationships. So I think having more time and more interest now, to be honest, in being doing some of the work related to the church, I think that's that's given me a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am continue to do a few things in the education world. I've been filling in as a principal, helping out some other principals if they're at a conference or out sick or something like that. Uh, so I still get to work with kids now and then, but it's now and then. It's not every day, uh, which is fine. Um, but I, you know, I, I think I, I'm really trying to make, I've tried to simplify my life a bit. And I think this pandemic has helped train me a little bit in that regard too, because life has become a bit simpler. I had a first taste of that because I did this Camino de Santiago, which was a five and a half week walk across Spain to the town of Santiago. And um, there, you know, you wear the same clothes every day, you sleep in hostels, you eat the same food every day basically, you take, you know, the biggest event is maybe a shower that day or a beer, you know, you know, you just really, your life became much narrower and simpler and more true. I think you're outside. I, I was probably eight, 10 hours outside every day. So that whole, whole connection with nature was really important to me. So all of that, I thought, I think was good training for what I've been doing the last couple of months because, um, yeah, I sort of wear the same clothes all the time. And, you know, I, take, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I still take lots of walks. So that's good. I get to be outside. Um, a big event is going to the grocery store. So, you know, you yeah, know, things are simpler. Uh, but I, I think I'd like to try to keep that going as long as I can, because I, I do think it helps you focus on what's more important. And, um, and I you know, if I could just stop listening to the news, that would really help my life. Uh, yes. <laughs> but um, so I think what comes next is, you know, if if somebody asks me to do something or, or to take a trip, I've been saying yes. Last year, I went like on 10 different trips because I was able to connect with 10 different groups of friends. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just trying to say yes to life right now. And, um, and it's, been a pretty good pace of enough time for myself, which I've never had time for, uh, along with trying to keep some connections going with the community.
1: Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Well, I hope that we all get to uh, take some more trips soon. Right. I agree with you that uh, it's it's definitely does narrow your focus and makes you really think about what's important and what you just can not worry about. Um, well, I've, I've really appreciated your, your conversation and, and had a, I've had a great time. Um, I really, really liked this, uh, this series and, and hope to see more. Is there anything else you want to share with us or uh,
3: Well, why don't I see if, if people have any questions or comments because I could um, respond. Exactly.
2: To that. Good.
0: Amy, when you were talking about um, new Americans uh, at the high school um, I was thinking back to our church was really fully immersed in welcoming the Bosnian community and uh, then uh, the Congolese community starting in 2004. And um, I will say with the Bosnian community, the folks who were coming here had been traumatized really recently. by the violent conflict in their countries,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um, and the whole the whole experience of welcoming people into our our culture here in Vermont, our society, our systems uh, was was new to uh, to a lot of us, and and there there were a lot of people in the church involved with that. Um, I just wanna say my experience with the schools, with the Congolese community and with the Bosnian community and you you and I, there were several times when a student had been involved in a conflict in the community or in the school and I was brought in as an advocate. I just have to say, I have such high regard for the work you did at Burlington High School and and the opportunities that young people had there. Um, I think a a real secret of life is what is it in someone that can really take advantage of those opportunities can rise above trauma? Mm-hmm. And, you know and somebody like, if I just use her first name, Bijou, who just right. you, <laughs> everything that was put before her this is somebody who started in, high, in the United States in high school as a ninth grader, graduated in National Honor Society, went on to university, got her master's degree. That, that this was not predictable so what, what what's the x factor
3: <laughs> you know it's so interesting because um a number of uh, the Bosnian population was much more well educated than the populations that came later so for yes there was trauma and yes there was cultural differences religious differences we had to deal with but really it became more of an issue of translation because if they could figure out what the word meant in, in Bosnian, they understood what, what the reading was. They, they, they were accomplished readers, they'd taken a lot of math classes, so they, they had a, a lot of academic experience. What really became tricky was when students would come to us who were 15, 16, or 17, but had never been in school before. Um, so for instance the somalian population where or the bantu so- somalian population where they they didn't they didn't have a written language it was just an oral language so they they never needed to read i mean and so how to be respectful you know their parents wanted us to put them in kindergarten and you know we had to explain that they couldn't go to kindergarten um, but they, they they had to be in ninth grade, but they weren't really in ninth grade because they'd never been in school before. And so we really had to work so hard in figuring out how to catch people up, but how to speak about them and in the, in their experiences in the right, right way, because their life experiences far exceeded any of our academic experiences, right? And so how to really um, be thoughtful and respectful, and really meld them into the school in a way that they were honored and, and respected. So we were. That was that was so hard, and we and, and some students, it, it, as you mentioned, they just r- rose above it. They it, it just came to them. They had the right kind of personalities, and um, mentors appeared for them, and it, and it really worked smoothly. But for a lot of people, and I think a lot of our our younger men, um, it didn't work as easily for them. And so um, we were always trying to rethink and redo and try to make new connections. Um, And so I guess I I would just say it's an imperfect science, the X factor. Some kids can just rise above it and other people, what they've seen, what they've experienced uh, what they did not eat their first years of life, um, you know it just it, it 's just been um, and so important for us to learn and understand their their stories, so uh, no magical answers unfortunately, except everyone has that that good heart, everyone wants to have a good life, and you just have to find their goodness and try to.
2: Amy, I have a question, Um, did your faith help to inform
1: or manage your professional endeavors? Well, the first thing
3: that comes to mind, Michael, is that um, for the many years I came to church while I was working at Burlington high school, I would come in for an hour. I was just so happy to sit and think and just have a, a quiet hour of, I don't know if I was really meditating or always focused on the message, but I, I, I felt I needed something like that to, to, to feed me. So, so there was a connection there. Um, but I no, I, I don't know if I was, um, thought about it as directly as the way you put it but I do think there was something always behind me thinking I've got to try to do good work I've got to try to you know be the best I can I've got to try to live up to some of these ideals and these principles Uh, I I think I've become much more aware of that now but while I was living it um, and trying to manage kids and all of that that I think it was inside me because I'd grown up in that tradition, but I, I don't know if it was as purposeful as, as, as I feel the connection is now. that makes sense. Amy. Hi, Bruce.
1: The uh, community newspaper that came today. Oh, yes. The centerfold is a photograph of all the graduating seniors. Wow. And look at the cultures that are represented there.
3: It's so true. It's so true, Bruce. It's
1: It's,
2: true. Yeah.
3: it's unbelievable. Right, right. You know, I will, I, you know, even though we've, there have been a lot of ups and downs and trying to get us to be all connected and trying to understand each other. I do think that we've benefited so much for from having all these different um, families and communities in our larger community. And, you know, it's as tangible as I'm just, uh, a story came in, into my mind about my daughter who went off to college. And because I was a the principal at the time, I went in and talked to their admissions, college, admissions office at that first parents weekend. I was just sort of curious how it really all worked now that my daughter had been through and was in her freshman year. And they, they told me that they completely understand all the different high schools. When I mentioned Burlington High School, Vermont, they, they had a Vermont person and lo- they looked it up and they said, we know that your school has a lot of diversity. And our college is only wanting to take people that are used to diversity. And so when we saw that your daughter, your daughter would have gotten extra points on her application for having come from a diverse community because she would have already tried to uh, grappled with that and made friends. In fact, my, one of my daughter's best friends is a Bosnian um, refugee. And so, um, you know, it, it spoke to me that, you know, there's a lot of different kind of benefits that, that come our way by just being present with each other in the same rooms, going through the same life experiences, whether you're in fifth grade or whether you're in 12th grade. And um, as that centerfold shows, Bruce, there are a lot of, all those people would have interacted with each other in countless ways over the years. They might not have done it as well as they could have all the time, but at least they know each other and are not afraid of each other. They, um, they've, sat next to each other. They've eaten lunch with each other. Uh, So I think the more we can just put ourselves out there and try, the better things will be.
1: Yeah, thanks,
2: Bruce. Oh, Amy, uh, this is Patty Thomas. Um, I'm recalling a time when my daughter, um, who went to college in Washington, DC, but then decided to come back and live in Burlington, she lived on Cloric Court and I woke up, I was staying with her Saturday night, woke up Sunday morning. You want to go have breakfast? Okay, so let's go up to the Chubby Muffin. I think that was, I, I know it's where the Chubby Muffin was, but maybe it wasn't called that. Well, anyway, getting my daughter out of bed wouldn't have been the shortest time period. So I sat there and I sat there and had another cup of coffee and <laughs> and mm-hmm. what I saw were all of these um you know nations or people from other nations and i'm thinking on sunday morning nine o'clock are they going to church you know what did you find at the high school that the the church or whatever churches whatever gatherings they had for their faith how did that come together at the high school
3: you know um um, um, Fairly quickly, those communities, and and Lucy, you'll know about this too, um, did sort of try to figure out a religious home for themselves. So I became aware, so probably in 2004, maybe even earlier, because the Bosnian population really started coming in 1999, um, there was an attempt to start um, a mosque, a local mosque, and which only took off after the Sudanese and the Somalians came. Uh, so I became pretty quickly aware of that, And but I also started hearing people, you know, people in the community going, a mosque, a mosque, oh, not so sure about that. And then a, a, um, somebody who worked in my school uh, was from Tibet and was very, very eager to get going, a temple, a Hindu temple that could mm. Um, really speak to their population. And so they started in a house, uh, became aware of that. And they now have a a house that they've purchased themselves for a temple. Uh, So I was interested that pretty quickly on, their faith was very important to them and they were trying to figure it out. And so, and for instance, how it played out at the school, I would have people in the month of Ramadan, kids who would want to Pray during the school mm-hmm. day, which is not allowed. You know, you, you the way our laws are written, and before and after school, your the school building can be available for for uh, church groups or religious groups. But but what we've quickly figured out were some teachers who would say. Well, I'm going to go have lunch in the faculty room, but I'm going to leave my door open so any students who want to go in and use the space at lunchtime uh. can can do it. So you know, there'd be these sort of informal ways that we were able to support people with their with their faith. Um, I think um, that has been a huge part of their identity, continued identity here. Mm-hmm. And in Burlington and so if there are any ways that we can be supportive and be in relationship with um the mosque and the the temple uh, i would I, that, that would be fun to explore
2: right what was it the the d- sunday that we had last year shortly after i came here we had um you know like different um well i want to say priests or um just leaders of different churches from pretty much just around downtown Burlington and, and that was very insightful. Mm-hmm. Um, that I can't remember the reason that we came together in that way but um, the whole service was um, based on various churches that are in the area. Uh-huh.
3: Um, you know one, one of my most moving times that I think about religious experiences I was um, I had a chance to work in um, on the Thai-Cambodian border. And so when I was, before I got married, I worked with, with some education programs with the Cambodian refugees over there. And they had set up a little makeshift Buddhist temple. I mean, it was very like on poles and it was very, um, but I remember going into that and I was invited and you know I wasn't sure what to do, all of that kind of stuff. But I remember it being a, so moving the quietness, the few chants, and, you know, you just felt a connection there, and so I think in, in reality, for me, it's not just about Christianity. It's, it, it's about any of those religions. It's finding that sort of spiritual connection, um, and I think it can happen in so many different ways, and we need to be open to it, and Patty, as you're saying, the more we're in connection with other churches, the more ex- different experiences we have, and who knows how those different experiences are going to touch us.
0: Right, thank you. Michael and I live in South Burlington near the, uh, where the Mormon uh, church um, is, was, and uh, last summer it went up for sale, and pretty soon afterwards we heard that the mosque in Colchester was interested in purchasing it, oh, cool. and uh, so one of the things that we were involved with last year was Using social media to support that effort in South Burlington, and uh, of course there was support from all over the country to help them purchase that building, that property. And uh, Michael and I went to the open house at um, when they, you know, when they first opened it up to the community and to their um, to their faith community, and it was really quite a wonderful time to be there. And of course the Muslim community is very diverse. And because of the uh, work with new Americans and refugees from our church, I knew quite a few of the people there. Yes, and and Marriott employees, because I worked, with, got St. Mike's Food Service to hire quite a few people over time. And at any rate, it was just really a joy to be there. and um, that, the facility just looks great. And, you know, I think it's something our community can really feel good about when you see the, um, you know, the tensions around the country, it didn't have to go that way, you know? Right. And uh, it just, it really, it really is, is a real positive for us. Amy, with the, with the unrest right now across the country um, there, um, There's there's quite a bit happening. There's quite a bit happening locally. Um, Some of uh, the Peace and Justice Center, for example, on Tuesday night, did this hour and a half program where just three minute segments from all of these organizations around Vermont, talking about the good work that they're doing um, to oppose racism and to provide opportunities for people and to um, you know education and outreach, to just have if you feel comfortable talking about. you know, what you see at this point and, and, you know, what, what do you hope for, given um, the divisive situation?
3: Um, I, I hope that this is not, that this conversation we're having as a country continues. You know, we've had tipping points at different moments. Um, last night on TV, the movie Selma was on, and I, I'd seen it some years ago, but I was reminded of, of all of that 1960s civil rights um, journey, but then found myself thinking, okay, so 60 years later, we're still talking about access to voting, to, to, to many of the same issues. So I, I want this to be a consistent, daily conversation. I also wanted to move to some practical strategies that where we feel we can see and touch progress. Um, I, you know, it can't be just big words. We need the big words to pull us in, but then we need the concrete actions. Um, I, for instance, the other day, I heard a man um, talk about our police departments and how Perhaps some of the new positions in police departments can shift and be social workers. You know that you change the mix of who actually is part of the police because there's certain certain tasks police do that would be much better served by trained social workers. So hire them, and and you know so change resources, how resources are used. Anyways, I'm looking for different opportunities that um, where we can really get behind and make something happen. Um, I truly want people to vote this fall. Um, I'm going to put a lot of my effort into turning out the vote, not just here in Vermont. I feel good about Vermont, but some of those other places, you know, I really want to, you know, if I could, I was planning to to travel and be in a state and try to do some work, whether it was in South Carolina or wherever it would would need to be. Um, I'm not sure that will happen, but I would like to do that kind of work too. and then, um, you know, I, I think any of the things that the, the church should, that we could do together as a group that really stands out, I noticed um, this Sunday, sounds like this Sunday, right? Is it one thirty to 2 or 1 to one thirty?
0: 1 to one thirty. Silent so, vigil. Yeah, Hannah could comment on that too.
3: Standing outside. Mm-hmm. So, any, you know, some of those small acts, I think it will add up to big acts. And so that's what I'm hoping for the country.
0: Good. Hannah, do you want to add anything about the silent vigil this Sunday?
1: Um, just that uh, it would be great to have folks there. We're going to have social distancing protocols in place. Um, and also just for safety, it would be awesome if you would bring your own signs so that we don't have to cross contaminate um, Yeah, materials and to bring masks. And we're going to be spread out across the front lawn. If uh, there's too many people to be in the area in front of the porch. I guess they're going to be across in the area by the tree across the parking lot. Um, I'm not sure, Lucy, do you have any other specifics? We're going to be sending out some additional resources for those of you who maybe would like to participate in some way or um, be connected uh, virtually, but that will be coming to you soon. Yeah, I, I,
0: I think this is really an important effort. I, I also know there are many in our congregation who are being more COVID precautionary and won't be going. I, one of the things I've been really trying to do is to motivate myself to be as engaged and, and as involved as I can from this spot. <laughs> and uh, just really challenging myself to show up uh, to some some virtual opportunities. But I think anybody who feels like they can be at the church on Sunday afternoon, I think that uh, symbolic gestures like the silent vigil are very important at this time because they visibly show uh, the care and compassion and commitment of, of that individual person. And as our community saying, we care about what's happening and uh, we want to be aware, we, we want to make a difference. Um, so I, I, I just, I think it's, I think it's a great effort and there, there will be a, there'll be a special e-communication about it. So people should be watching for that.
2: So well, Lucy, um, Lucy mm-hmm. uh, are you going to include that?
0: Um, I heard the governor
3: or maybe it was Dr. Levine say today that anyone who attends a mass gathering,
0: um, they recommend they get a test? Um, before or after? After. after. Yeah, My, Michael was just saying that before that um, for people who are participating in community protest efforts that um, that the head of the CDC had said this to make sure that um, we're getting tested, I, you know, I think that the a big part of the answer to managing what's having, happening with COVID-19 is testing in a lot of different um, circumstances. I think that this, um, what's being planned for the church on Sunday is people not coming together to, there's no coming together for a prayer or for singing or any kind of communion at the beginning. It's to come and be in a place totally separate. But together, um, so I, I I do think it's a very uh, low risk event, um, and it's just you know just for whoever it feels that it's the right thing for them. Anne,
2: yeah. Um, uh, what I heard from what the governor said today, it was um, when you're in a crowd or if you're in a crowd where you cannot practice social distancing. Mm-hmm. So I think so long as the protocols are set up so that um, we effectively do practice that six feet apart and wearing masks, I think um, the testing probably is not um, as recommended or
0: whatever. And I, I think it, for each person, each household, you have to be aware of your own risk factors and what you're willing uh, to engage in and, and what will work for you. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad that there's this opportunity available for people and um, you know, I think we need to persistently find ways to show that we care. Our our brothers and sisters in this community, people of color, are um, exhausted, upset, um, engaged, <laughs> but uh, they they need to see us, you know, being present. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I want to thank you, Amy. Thank you, John, for a wonderful and engaging conversation. I. Um, I put a little, uh, a very short poem by Langston Hughes up. I w- I've been reading some of Langston Hughes over the last uh, week or two, and just, just thinking a lot about how this prophetic voice it could be speaking to us, is speaking to us now, but was writing, you know, 100 years ago. Um, so we're going to see my sh- screen sharing skills. Are you ready? We'll see if I can do this. Are we impressed? So I want, as a closing, I want to read uh, Dreams to you by Langston Hughes. Um, And Amy, I read this thinking of you as somebody who has helped people to achieve their dreams um, through your work as as an educator. Dreams, hold fast to dreams. For if dreams die, life is a broken winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. So I just would encourage everybody to keep your dreams for your own faith journey, for our community, for your family for individual people who have suffered alive and well and do everything you can to uplift them. God, God bless all of you. Watch for information about next Friday's Spirit Seekers and we'll look forward to welcoming you again. Thank you, John and Amy.
1: Thank you, Thank you Lucy. Thank you, Amy.